Produced on Yuan Country, we acknowledge the innate birthing wisdoms and traditions held by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of this land. We remember the first women of this nation, the custodians of land and birth, who birthed on country in culture and tradition. Here, as we share in stories, stories of birth preconception, pregnancy and postpartum experiences from remote, rural and outer regional communities. May we remember and stand for the cultural significance of birth, women's business and birthing on country. May we nurture and support women through this rite of passage as we hear of possibilities ignited and limitations created. May we share in the power of storytelling and memory as we listen and learn from these birth stories. And may we always remember the ancestral wisdoms belonging to the country these birth stories occur on today. And here we are, the 2021 season of the Rural Births Podcast. Thank you for your patience. It's starting a little bit later than January. Here we are towards the end of April, and we have a whole host of new episodes coming from rural mums telling their birth stories this year. Thank you so much to the many women who've already shared their birth stories. We're creating a map together of the many different pathways rural women birth. I hope you enjoy listening to these rural women's birth stories. Thank you to everybody who takes the time to share. Without these stories, we wouldn't be hearing the variety of experiences that rural women can have living with distance and other different care factors in our maternity care system. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and once again, Thank you for listening. Rebecca Barry is a mum of two. She lives on a property in South Australia close to the Victorian border. Rebecca's journey towards her first birth changed trajectory when she received high blood pressure results and was diagnosed with preeclampsia. She had to shift her plan and go into hospital earlier than expected. She underwent additional monitoring and had an extended prenatal hospital stay. She had to change hospitals, moving from her private unit and the care of her private obstetrician to a different hospital. Her known care providers were not able to transfer with her. And so early in her third trimester, Rebecca was traversing an unknown care environment and needed to remain in hospital until she birthed. This was tumultuous 
as she would receive varied blood pressure results and sometimes be rushed into the delivery ward birth suite, where her blood pressure would then stabilise. This would happen every time she had a high blood pressure reading, as they were thinking they would have to do an emergency delivery. Her partner was darting back and forth to be her support and also be present for Bub's imminent arrival, while still managing their life on the land. Her eldest was born prematurely via caesarean section and required some additional support after he was born. During her second pregnancy, Rebecca developed a strong relationship with a trusted obstetrician who worked with the high-risk birth unit. This gave her increased confidence and she felt well supported as she planned for a VBAC. Rebecca's VBAC didn't go to plan and after labouring and trying different augmentations, her daughter was born via caesarean. Her daughter also had a stay in the nursery care unit due to infection. Rebecca demonstrates resilience and strength as she shares what it's like to traverse unexpected pathways and birth far from home. Each stage of motherhood can present challenges and Rebecca shares openly about how she moved through the early birth and nursery stays through the support of others and her own strength. So my name is Rebecca Barry. I am a mum of two kids, Oliver, who is four, and Charlotte, who is turning two in a couple of months. So I am a farmer. I um, I would farm with my partner, Matt, and we are in a bit of a unique situation that we have two farms that are um, 500 kilometres apart. So one on the um, Victorian South Australian border and then one um, on the York Peninsula, which is two hours north of Adelaide. How do you move between those two properties? Like, do you live part time at one and part time at the other or is one kind of operating and you live on one? So we live on our property on the Victorian South Australian border at a little town called Apsley. Mm -hmm. uh, we're based there because our kids go to childcare just across the border in Narracourt. Mm -hmm. And uh, my son, Ollie, goes to kindy um, in Narracourt as well. So just for his education, we like to yeah stay in the one place. So um, yeah. farming is my background. So I, um, yeah, so... I work the, the farm here at Apsley, the sheep farm, mm -hmm. and my partner Matt works his family farm on the York Peninsula. Um, and because farming is so seasonal, a lot of the time uh, with cropping, um, it overlaps. So where times are really busy at both farms, um, yeah. they, yeah, we can also juggle the work. Like, so he spends a lot of time down here at the farm too. And obviously weekends are all important for family time as well. So it's a busy and chaotic life, but we, um, we love what we do. Yeah. Um, so you grew up rurally then, like with a family, with a farm and stuff? Yeah, I did. So I, um, my dad owned, uh, well, my parents owned a farm um, and then that was sold when my parents divorced. But I have always grown up on farms and studied ag when I left school and, uh, yeah, have worked in the industry for, yeah, for all of my, all of my working life. So, yeah, um, farming is sort of always what I've known and, yeah, and love to be love to be a farmer now myself working on our in our own business yeah um I think there's like it's interesting always talking about farming and talking about birth like in a podcast because I think there's a lot to be gained from having grown up 
like if you grow up agriculturally and it's like birth is just such an essence of farming in <laughs> itself too like it, as, um, it is yeah it happens wild and free <laughs> <laughs> it does I often um like when we're lamb you know look at the ewes and think oh you poor girls I know what you're going through and yeah <laughs> it pulls on the heartstrings a little bit now that that I'm a mum myself but um yeah <laughs> it's great and love what we do so yeah mm. so when you first fell pregnant with Ollie what services did you discover were available or already know um about yeah, so um, when I fell pregnant with Ollie, it was an unplanned pregnancy. So we were living, at that stage, we only had the one farm, Matt's family farm on the York Peninsula um, mm-hmm. at a little town called Port Broughton. So, yeah, when I fell pregnant, um, a lot of women in the area either went to a local tertiary hospital that only deal with really low-risk births yeah. or a lot of women also chose to go the two hours to Adelaide for private care. So um, at the time I had private health insurance, so I still do have private health insurance, but um, at the time we thought the best idea for us would be to go private in Adelaide. Um, I was borderline, um, my BMI being too high for to go to our tertiary hospital and we just thought yeah. we just didn't want to have any risks, um, risks associated with that. So we were better off being in Adelaide where um, the private care was. So we chose to mm. go through a private obstetrician that was recommended to us. Um, yeah, so we did the the private obstetrician and um like a shared care type model through our local gp as well so we just would alternate our appointments yeah to save the the trip to adelaide every couple of weeks so yeah Yeah, i think it is really hard i walked the line with bmi as well and was fortunate to be able to stay in my low risk unit but it was this kind of thing of you might have your care flip on you at some point and and then have to move to another hospital anyway yeah, and that's what I was so worried about is just, yeah, is uh, we, I would have been able to birth at our local hospital and, um, yeah, but we sort of started getting signs right at the start of my pregnancy that things were going to be a little bit more high risk. So in the end, uh, yeah, we did make the right decision to go to, go to Adelaide. Yeah, and so you knew um, a few people who had already birthed there. Like, did you find their um, stories and what they were able to share with you was uh, – nice thing to have on board as well yeah absolutely um had heard really good reports out of women who had birthed privately um and that wasn't necessarily the driver uh, if we if I had have had a low-risk pregnancy we would have gone gone to our local hospital but it was just the um right at the start of my pregnancy I just uh during the first trimester I just was really sick I had Um, I was working a job at the time which was quite physical I was working with livestock and um, I was doing a lot of traveling I just felt really really tired all the time and I know that you sort of get pregnancy tired but this was just a next level of like dizzy headed um, just yeah just feeling really really crap and at the time I didn't know that I was actually really unwell but I just thought it was just pregnancy being my first pregnancy so um, yeah so right from the right from the start um, yeah we just we felt like we were in good hands being um, being private and being you know potentially at the high risk uh, yeah high risk hospital in Adelaide if we needed it. Yeah so um, you were able to see your local GP had they kind of already had a relationship um, or was that something that you kind of instigated with your OB to have that shared care with a local GP? 
It was something that I'd instigated with uh, my local GPs. So a lot of the women who birth um, from from that area do have, uh, yeah, so they just, in, they organise for their obstetrician to be in contact with, yeah, with their local GP just yeah. to save the the drive and just have, you know, that the checkups in between and the, you know, that, I guess that local source of contact if we, if we do need it, um, you know, close by. So. Yeah. And any travel that you can cut down on, I think makes a massive difference. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And um, oh, the, probably the downside that we didn't think of as, at the time was that, you know, being with a local hospital, um, like our local, so there is a midwife who does live in our town who works at the um, the hospital. So when I say the other birthing hospital, it's still a 40 minute drive away. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't sort of have that. There wasn't the crossover of care. When you choose to go private and you're in the country, you don't get that sort of the, the local care from the local midwives and you don't sort of form that relationship. And so the one thing that we missed out on is, the, you know, the mother's groups and the that sort of local, um, yeah, yeah, that local support yeah. network. So, yeah, so there's definitely positives and negatives for both. But at the time, we just really wanted that that high-risk care. Were you able to access things like scans or blood tests and um, other things that happen in those kind of earlier trimesters through your local um, or travel? Yeah, so we're very lucky um, that once again, half an hour in the opposite direction is the is the hospital that provided um, blood tests and scans and and those sorts of things. So yeah, so we were really lucky that yeah, within you know within sort of half an hour of both ways of where we live, we could have yeah hospitals that um, yeah that dealt with those sort of yeah those sort of appointments. Yeah, um, it sounds like a really similar town to ours. Like we're like a little spot on the map that it has a catchment of like, you could go down that road and you'll find yourself. <laughs> you could go up to Goulburn or up to Canberra or up to the Bay. And they've all got different things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you move exactly in one direction yeah. for one thing and then in yeah. the other direction for the other things you need. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. And the, um, the town Port Broughton is just like, we're really lucky that we've got a really good GP clinic. So we don't have the facilities for scans and, you know, and that sort of thing, but we just have fantastic GPs who yeah who are just yeah they're fabulous so we're really spoiled in that way and yeah but everything is yeah everything I guess everything in the country is a driving distance to somewhere it's all close by and yeah in some way or another yeah so in terms of um being your first pregnancy your knowledge of birth had you already had lots of friends who'd given birth or were there books that you really dug into or podcasts um or did you go to any external courses like who and what was kind of influencing how you were feeling about birth in this early stage? Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I was in year 12, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to work in ag or if I wanted to work as a nurse. And so I obviously went down the path of studying ag and working in that industry. And I only got a couple of years into working. Um, and I thought, you know what, I would really love to be a nurse. And at that stage, yeah. they, um, the University of South Australia were offering a, um, a direct entry um, course into study midwifery so I actually as well as working full-time I actually studied um, two-thirds of 
my midwifery degree. Wow. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, and then it just so happened that just with life, um, I just got offered this amazing opportunity that I just didn't finish it and I went off working and um, my career sort of took me elsewhere in ag, which I love and don't regret a second of. But, yeah, so during those two years of the midwifery degree, I just got so much experience Um and so much of an understanding of birth, birthing options. Um, yeah, just of just seeing, um, you know, seeing so many births, the good, bad and mm. the ugly. And um, yeah, so I guess I sort of had uh, a little bit of an understanding of, um, you know, of what goes on and what the, the different care options are. And yeah, I sort of, yeah, I, yeah. And I've seen it from a different perspective as well of seeing, um, you know, seeing things that can go wrong as well. So mm. um, I did read, I did read um, Kaz Cook, Kaz Cook's um, yeah, off the dark book. Yeah. She's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, I was sort of my best, one of my best friends had had a baby, but we were sort of the first, yeah, sort of group of friends to start having kids so I didn't have a lot of yeah experience now like what I do now with a lot of mum friends who all talk mm. about birth so yeah you sort of get a new group of friends and you get a new understanding once you become a mum but um yeah we, yeah I guess that background has sort of led me into yeah into knowing a little bit to to get us through so yeah, yeah. It would be amazing to find out how to tap into that kind of mum knowledge as a first-time pregnant woman because, like, there's oh, so much more that I've got <laughs> available now that I've got all these connections. And I guess yeah. like turn, I, I don't know, turning up to the mother's group or whatever before you've given birth or if hospitals yeah. do stuff like that because, yeah, the connection and yeah. knowledge pool available now is so different and I can see how that would, um, yeah, have been amazing to be able to tap into oh absolutely yeah and you need um you need mothers groups where they're real like where they're authentic and they talk about yeah you know I yeah the people who sugarcoat motherhood and birth and everything like yeah you need to talk about the real deal and talk about how hard it is and you know how fantastic it is but it's also bloody Mm. hard at times yeah and I think you find as well like a whole new appreciation for your body stuff that I was kind of like a bit I don't know private about before like (laughs) I'm just like oh well you know (laughs) this blood's nothing like it's just my period now it's you know I've given birth (laughs) oh well (laughs) I've Uh, never probably been so at home and comfortable in my body even though my postpartum body is so different different yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely yeah so um moving through from your first trimester to your second how was your prenatal care journey was it quite irregular or were you having lots of appointments yeah I was having regular appointments so it was quite structured between our local GP and then the obstetrician in Adelaide so they were quite structured appointments where uh, we'd often coincide like important scans with being in Adelaide at the same time that I was catching up with my obstetricians so yeah it was quite structured in that aspect Um, yeah and really yeah up until sort of 30 weeks when the wheels fell off during my pregnancy um yeah everything was sort of going along fine and yeah everything was yeah just pretty routine at that stage of my pregnancy so the birth of your eldest was an early birth um could you tell us a bit about what started to change at 30 weeks and kind of into your labor and birth story 
Yeah, so um, we'd gone down to do our antenatal class. Um, so we'd gone down to Adelaide and thought we'll make a weekend of it. We'd stay down there and um, just, yeah, have some time out away from the farm. So I'd gone down to our appointment on the Friday and um, just the routine appointment. The midwife did just the basic OBS first up and then sort of you went into your appointment with the obstetrician and um I remember sitting on the bed and she took my blood pressure and she just sort of looked at me and thought, oh, that's not right. And then she did it a couple of more times and had a really worried look on her face. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. And, yeah, she said, oh, look, your blood pressure is through the roof. It was, uh, from memory, I think it was like 160 on 100 or something, like quite high. And, um and so she went and got the obstetrician and he came in straight away and he, he checked it just to make sure that, it, yeah, she was doing it right and the, the, the result was correct. And, um, yeah, so he just um, he gave me some, um, like, hypertension, blood pressure medication just to take over the weekend knowing that we were going to be around in Adelaide. So, um, yeah, so he just said, I'll oh, just start that and we'll see how I go over the weekend and just see whether we can get your blood pressure down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I started taking that. And then so we went to the antenatal class on Saturday and that was right at the hospital. So he said, I'll oh, just call up after you've been to the antenatal class and we'll take your blood pressure again. And just see that was a full 24 hours after being on the blood pressure medications. So, yeah. Yeah, it went over there and sure enough, my blood pressure was still high and he just said, oh, look, I think that, yeah, that's, yeah, it's leading into, um, yeah, we just really need to get on top of it. So it was sort of looking like we might have started a few different type of medications and, um, yeah, just to just to really try to lower it as quick as they could. Yeah. Um, he did seem to think at the time that um, that we um I was going to like we would have the baby early and the private hospital that he works at and we'd chosen to birth that only took babies under 30 oh sorry over 34 weeks okay so at that stage I was only 30 weeks so that presented um <laughs> a little bit of a problem so um, at that stage he definitely thought that we were going to deliver early so and the hospital wouldn't have been able to accept us so we actually got transferred from the private um hospital into the public hospital in Adelaide the, um, to okay. the women's and kids. Um, and, yeah, so in the chaos of it all, um, yeah, we sort of went from, you know, just a routine appointment sort of spending the week in Adelaide, weekend in Adelaide to then being transferred into the public system where he didn't have admitting rights, so he didn't have any oh, control over, yeah. yeah, our situation. And then we sort of just got put into the hands of, um, yeah, just the the public obstetricians and registrar, registrars that were working at the hospital at the time. And had they confirmed that this was preeclampsia at this stage, or is is this um, like kind of a something that was happening before it um, did become preeclampsia? Um, they 
had thought just because I couldn't get on top of my blood pressure in a short amount of time that it was preeclampsia. So when I went to the women's and kids, that's when they did um, did a couple of ultrasounds and just worked out that um, the baby was uh, IUGR, so yeah. intrauterine growth restricted. So um he was measuring quite a few weeks smaller than what he should have been. And he also obviously had the growth restriction that meant um, that when your blood pressure is so high, it puts more focus on um, maintaining the the head of the baby and the brain rather than the body. So he had quite a big head, but his body was smaller in size. So it was just that uneven yeah. development. So, yeah, so they were quite worried about that and just trying to get on top of my blood pressure as well. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a a bit of a shock going from private to public um and sort of losing that I guess when you're pregnant and you go through pregnancy you just want that continuity of care and um you know sort of getting thrust into a complete different system where I hadn't known anyone there I had well, I wasn't familiar with the hospital um yeah and just you're just sort of thrown into the hands of whoever was rostered on at the time in terms of an obstetrician yeah. it was it was a lot to deal with yeah and so you had gone for a weekend and then that kind of extended into now transferring to this hospital how long were you away from home during this period yeah so um the hospital that I went to straight away um they the registrar on at the time had said that I was going to deliver that baby that night so um yeah, so we just were thrust into this world of, oh, my God, we're having a baby right now. We just yeah. came down to Adelaide for a weekend. I didn't. You probably <laughs> didn't, didn't have stuff ready to... at home. Like... No, <laughs> no, the, the nursery was half painted and, yeah, like no, we didn't have any clothes hospital organized. Bag. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a hospital bag at all. I was just, yeah, and so I had to, yeah. <laughs> and oh, there's some funny stories that go with, yeah, with when you ask your partner to bring some clothes for hospital and he turns up with your fancy knickers rather than your, yeah, yeah, <laughs> your birthing comfortable knickers. But, yeah, there's some, um, but, yeah, so um, that actually I didn't come out of hospital until I had Ollie. So I spent, yeah, um, yeah I spent, um yeah, it was about 18 days in hospital that I spent before having Ollie. And it was literally, um, you know, blood pressure medications were just, yeah, I had, I was on all different sorts. They were trying to alter the doses. They were trying to measure Ollie and see whether he was still growing or whether he was completely restricted and to see whether he was healthy or not. They, um, it was pretty much like living four hourly um, mm. yeah, amongst four hourly OBS, like yeah. just thinking like, yeah. you know, if it was going to get to a point where my blood pressure was just out of control, they would have delivered then and there. So mm. uh, it was, yeah, it was so tough. And it's the toughest thing that I've had to do is just being in hospital and thinking, I just want this baby to cook for a little bit longer and a little bit longer. Yeah. And every day we get, you know, it just means, you know, the baby's a bit healthier and, you know, our stay in um, the special care nursery is a little bit shorter. And, you know, every, every mm. day that adds up is, you know, their lungs are healthier so they can breathe by themselves and the complications might be less. So it was a real um, mental mental game that I had when I was in hospital for those yeah three weeks just you know making sure that yeah making sure that we could get as far through as we could with both of us being being as healthy as we could be absolutely yeah and that's incredible 18 days to 
like have gone in and have that register say to you you're going to birth tonight to then hold all that time yeah to yourself and for ollie um what was it like for your partner in that time was he jumping back and forth um were there times where he was able to stay for you for substantial amounts of times or did he have to do only the weekends yeah we were so fortunate that um we, we were lucky in some aspects that it was a quieter time on the farm so um with just broad acre cropping uh, at that stage he was just going backwards and forwards just to spray crops and yeah and just do some odds and ends jobs like that so he did spend a lot of time with me um in Adelaide um and we were so fortunate that Matt's sister is um also works at the women's and kids as a radiographer Mm. so she uh, spent a lot of time with us and with me especially she was just such an important part of our birth and our yeah and of my time being in hospitals just being able to have that yeah that person to yeah just to lean on and to talk to and especially when Matt was going back home um and yeah it was hard with um Matt was also president of the local footy club and so we um, got into the grand final that year and actually won it as well so there were a lot of milestones that, that I missed out on too that it was just yeah like I was just yeah living in hospital in Adelaide and my family aren't close um to Adelaide either they are from Victoria and a lot of my friends are Victorian as well like and still live in Victoria so I didn't have that support network in Adelaide either so it was a it was all quite foreign um yeah foreign for me and yeah it was hard it was really hard and like all that time that you probably thought oh I'll do that then and that then you know in my late third trimester you were just having your expectations on stuff and quite instantly yeah (laughs) yeah we didn't get a lot of choice in the matter it was um yeah we had it was funny when we went down to Adelaide for the for the appointment that ended up being my, my final um yeah the the final stay um we the following weekend we'd had a um a baby queue plan so I'd only just moved to the area and so we sort of wanted to have like a a big sort of a combined party rather than just a bridal uh, not a bridal shower a um, a baby shower (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah and so we sort of were wishful thinking we thought oh well just surely I'll be out of hospital you know by then and we can go ahead with that but yeah we just yeah we were so I guess we weren't naive but I think we were just wishful thinking thinking that yeah it was only going to be a short term yeah short-term solution yeah um so then when it came to birth for Ollie was um that planned and was your partner able to get back for the birth and be there yeah so during um my pregnancy it was really just a case-by-case basis based on um based on my blood pressures so there were a couple of times where um my blood pressure had gone up and so um there were a couple of times where um, I'd actually gone from the post uh, from the antenatal ward where I was on to the ICU slash delivery ward, thinking that my blood pressure was so high they were going to have to deliver Ollie straight away, mm. um, and that was really tough because there were a couple of times where 
um, my blood pressure was through the roof or um, there was one time where uh, my blood pressure was taken incorrectly and um, they actually called a code blue and Matt had just been down to see me and then was almost back to home, so a couple of hours away when um, I was texting him with... um, like two catheters hanging out of both of my elbows um, where they were just planning to deliver the baby straight away. So mm. it was really, um, yeah, it was it was horrific. Like it was just so up and down. Like one minute, you know, blood pressure would be fine and stable and, you know, the doctors would say, oh, well, we'll just get you through for another couple of days or they just really wanted to get me through until 34 weeks. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you'd have other days where, you know, your blood pressure would be up a little higher and it was like, we're going to deliver today. So it was just, it was like living on a knife's edge, just waiting yeah. for, yeah, waiting for them to make the decision of when it would, would be and just regular scans. And every time you go into a scan, you'd just be praying that, yeah, that he'd be fine and he'd be healthy. And yeah. And it was funny during, um, during my hospital stay, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, Ollie as such that was sick. I mean, he was um, growth restricted and it had an impact him being sick. But the risk for me, I never thought of. It was just, I just want my baby to be healthy yeah. and safe. And, you know, that's all I wanted. I wasn't at all worried about the fact that, you know, I was a, a huge risk of having a stroke. And, um, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was quite traumatic. Yeah, I can't fathom it <laughs> like that you're able to you're incredible to be able to move through all of that and then yeah I I know like hospitals don't spend much time debriefing with you and you you're in there on your own for a really substantial period of time and you were always in motion <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I was and like I just some of the midwives were just you know I keep in contact with them now they were just fantastic because they were just I, you know I was there for three weeks before I even had a baby so yeah you got to know yeah I got to know the menu very well um <laughs> <laughs> and I got to frequent the cafe a lot but um yeah it was just um yeah fabulous midwives to deal with and um yeah it was just really it was living on a knife edge for for those three weeks um and then it just got to a point where um, I was 33 and three weeks. So, um, and the doctors had come around and they just said, look, I think, so I went and had a scan and Ollie had, um, yeah, his growth was starting to slow down and um, he was still a decent size. And they thought, look, I think, yeah, my blood pressure was still um, a little bit out of control. And they just thought like, yeah, let's make the decision and um, mm. yeah, and have the baby. So um, they did, they were, tossing up whether I'd be able to try naturally or not and I just wasn't um yeah my body wasn't ready for that so they made the decision to do emergency c-sections so yeah it was um I got wheeled into theatre that night and it was a little bit bittersweet because on one point at one stage all I wanted to do was get just get to that 34 week mark where the doctors kept saying that that's where you know that's the best outcome for for baby is 34 weeks but at the same time it was just such a relief like you know let's get him out let's get the baby out I just want to make sure that you know he's safe and if my body can't look after him in the way that it should be he's better off being outside and being looked after yeah you know in the nursery so yeah so it was a bit of a mixed emotions and I was lucky my mum had been overseas um at the time and she 
had um, flown back and yeah and so I was able to share the birth with her and um, have yeah. her as a support as well as Matt as well so yeah the birth itself was um, yeah emergency c-section but it was actually quite calm and yeah and like I said quite bittersweet and um, when they uh, pulled Ollie out we didn't know the sex at the time and um, yeah it was a surprise to have a little boy because we come from a big family of girls and um, <laughs> so that was a surprise but um, yeah he came out crying and he came out breathing as well so although he was um, growth restricted he was 1.7 kilos um, yeah he was actually quite 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 a healthy little bub and he went straight into the special care nursery he didn't have to go into the NICU the neonatal intensive care yep. units so um yeah we're so fortunate that way because I know a lot of babies don't do that so um yeah in the scheme of things we we're so lucky that he was healthy and and came out breathing and didn't require any breathing support and did they bring him straight to you or did he need to move straight from um being born into special care yeah, so I got to have, um, mum got to have the first hug. So they brought him <laughs> across and, um, yeah, and wrapped him up. And, um, yeah, so mum had the first little hold and then they brought him across to me and, um, yeah, gave him a kiss. But it was pretty quick. They just wanted to make sure that, um, yeah, he was safe and warm and, um, yeah, and wanted to check him over. So he was taken to the, yeah, to the special care nursery straight away. So, um, and we were very lucky that Matt was there and also with Matt's sister as well so they sort of went off and looked after Ollie and then um yeah mum was sort of with me in theatre so yeah it was actually quite lovely that multiple branches of support so that yeah it is have and people move with you absolutely and Matt's sister was fantastic in supporting Matt as well and one of my favorite photos from the birth is of Matt and his sister seeing um Ollie for the first time it's still one of my favorite photos and yeah such a such a special memory for us in a time that was really hard yeah yeah so um they had space for you when because I know like our care that we get kind of before we birth is often better than the care that's available to us after birth but did they um accommodate you at the hospital um so that while Ollie was in special care you were still able to have a space they did. Um, so I was put on the postnatal ward and then um, Ollie was obviously in the nursery um, on a different floor. So I was looked after on the postnatal ward. Um, but it, it was bloody tough as well because um, I wasn't a mum in the ward who had a baby. So you know, as you know, like um, mums with new, new bobs, you know, they need so much support to get the feeding established and, and yeah, and, you know, bobs needs to be checked and everything else as well. And I didn't, um, because I obviously didn't have a baby, I was just, you know, <laughs> a mum on the ward. I didn't really get that same level of, um, yeah, of care. And mm. it was also bloody tough because, you know, at night I could hear, you know, all these babies crying and, yeah, mine wasn't in my room with me so um yeah. yeah so it was it was really hard um didn't have there wasn't a lot of uh because I was I, all I wanted to do was just make sure that Ollie could have the best start at life so I was expressing colostrum and um you know making sure that I would just get the tiniest minute amount and I'd be like quick yeah. we need to take it and take it to Ollie and um and so the nurses you know they were just so busy and um you know 
busy with all of the other mums that, yeah, it was, I found myself, um, yeah, like Matt was doing a lot of running the milk up up and down and, um, yeah, and I was, you know, just after having a C-section, I was wheeling myself up there in a wheelchair and, um, yeah, just to make sure that Ollie had what he needed and that not a drop was wasted. So, yeah, it was really tough after, um, after yeah, after the birth and, um and having a C-section as well, um, yeah, like there were just, I can remember times where, um, you know, I'd spend so much time up in the nursery with Ollie that I wouldn't have any pain medication after having a cesarean too. And, you know, and that just, yeah, it, it was hard trying to, yeah, to to juggle it all, I guess. And all you want to do is just be with your baby yeah. and, you know, be expressing and, you know, kangaroo care and, you know, bonding with him. So, um, yeah, so I actually... I was discharged from hospital. Um, it wasn't even 48 hours after having a cesarean. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So that was quite a, yeah, um, yeah, quite a, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, it had its ups and downs. It was, um, you know, at least I knew that I could look after myself and, you know, get the pain medication that I needed and, Mm. um yeah and you know not be in that environment where you're constantly being reminded of you know all the happy mums with you know their babies in their room and you know like how birth should be so um yeah so it was good to be able to sort of be removed from that situation but leaving Ollie in the hospital was yeah the hardest thing ever (laughs) to do so yeah yeah did they have like a Ronald McDonald house um kind of accommodation attached or or did you stay with family um when you were discharged um there was there is a Ronald McDonald house in Adelaide but at the time that we were there it was completely full and there were waiting lists to get in um so we'd stayed a lot with Matt's sister in Adelaide and it was at a point where um you know my mum was there and um yeah and obviously Matt as well and then I was being discharged so we actually um just got some accommodation ourselves and it was quite a hard (laughs) <laughs> quite hard to organize because it was during school holidays and um yeah so we sort of <laughs> yeah. found ourselves moving from apartment apart you know to apartment and just to be able to accommodate us all and um mm. yeah so the, t- the timing of that wasn't great but you know we're so fortunate that I guess we're in a position where we could um you know pay for accommodation but yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine you know the yeah you know people who aren't in that same position and who or who aren't able to afford the accommodation it's just heartbreaking what some rural families have to go through you know in this type of thing or you know families with sick kids so yeah um and did the hospital provide you with a breast pump once you discharged or um did you move to mixed feeding or did you go purchase one um how did you continue kind of that early feeding journey yeah, so I went and purchased a breast pump because I just wanted to make sure that, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that Ollie got the the goodness of the, you know, the colostrum and, and breast milk. So um, so <laughs> I felt like a cow would go um, would go back to the apartment at night and mum and um, Matt would like alternate between running milk <laughs> between <Yeah>. the hospitals. So <laughs> they were like the milk tank drivers and, um, yeah, so I did, um, they did have to supplement Ollie just until my milk 
milk came in um, just a little bit with some formula, but yeah. he received mostly breast milk um, because he, um, yeah. So Ollie stayed in hospital for 20, I think it was about 23 days. Yeah. Um, so he had a relatively short period in um, hospital, like for being born early. Um, but yeah, during the first day where he was in the special care nursery, he was in a, um, a humi crib. So yeah. a lot of the feeds were through like a nasogastric tube and um, yeah, rather than like, so before you could sort of establish breastfeeding. So yeah, so most of his feeds were all breast milk through through the breast, breast pump that we had at the, yeah at the hotel and um did you get some assistance kind of establishing breastfeeding or did you keep pumping and um pump and bottle feed after discharging from the hospital yeah so the nurses in the in the nursery are fantastic they just encourage the kangaroo care so skin to skin contact Mm -hmm. um as a way of you know bringing your milk in and um, bonding with your baby and yeah they were fantastic and there were some really good nurses who um who yeah who you know would we started suckling you know early and like you know while he was still being nasogastric fed they would you know put him on the breast and sort of encourage that as well yeah. Um, so yeah, so the support in the hospital was fantastic to to start breast the breastfeeding journey. And so that journey home, then when you were discharged, did you go straight home, or did you still try and stay around for a bit? And when you were driving home, how was that um, taking a small baby uh, in the car for a few <laughs> hundred kilometers to get back home? home um so we did um ollie was feeding really well with the bottle he struggled a little bit with the breast which is what you quite often get with um premature babes mm-hmm. um so he but he always took a bottle really really well so I was giving him um express milk mm-hmm. so because he was um going really well he um he was just in a normal open air cot really quickly because he didn't have any breathing issues. We did an early discharge program through the hospital, which meant that um, his stay his was cut short in, um, in the hospital and meant that he could join us for a week in Adelaide. Um, and if we could establish feeding and everything, that meant then that we could go home um, to the country. So mm-hmm. we did the early discharge program. So yeah, we took him home and had or took him back to the apartment, I should say, which was our home for a little while. And yeah, um, yeah so he, um, yeah, he was fabulous with, uh, with feeding and the midwives then would come and check him every day and just check his weight gains. And yeah, he was doing, yeah, he was doing really well in that aspect. So we went home. We only, yeah, we only spent about a week in that apartment then we went home um and the drive home was yeah I think it's the same drive that everyone does when they have their first baby it was slow yeah. it was yeah. nerve-wracking <laughs> I don't know that we've ever been so cautious but um yeah it was yeah he he slept the whole way and we kept having to pull wow. over and just make sure that he was yeah but he was such a tiny tiny little baby in a capsule he was yeah he looked like a doll because he was so small but um yeah it was quite bittersweet to be home and it was just bittersweet especially for me because I'd been you know it was like six not weeks home in for a while that, yeah yeah that I hadn't been there and just to be yeah back on the farm and back you know in my home environment and yeah it was yeah it was quite emotional actually yeah. to be to be going home and yeah it felt like that we 
probably in the first out of everything that we'd been through, it probably felt like, you know, the first bit of normality that we'd had, um, yeah. like what you would expect to have when you have a baby. So, yeah, it was quite good to be home. And it would have like had that grounding aspect because you'd been in that really mobile place where you were just moving with every new challenge that came to you. And yes, more challenges, of course, when you get home with your baby, but having that ground beneath you, that familiarity, it, <laughs> yeah, you get to pause yeah. for a second and breathe that air. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. something about the air as well. There is, and it's funny because um, our first sense of having Ollie in a room with us when we slept at night was when we were in the apartment doing the early discharge program in mm-hmm. Adelaide and we went to bed that night and put him to sleep and we were laying there and it just all of a sudden we heard this sneeze and we both jumped up and looked at each other and we're like oh that's right Ollie's with us because yeah. it wasn't we didn't have we didn't have that normal you know the normal birth of oh your baby's straight in your room with you and you know um yeah so we missed out on a lot of things um that yeah that you just I guess you take for granted when you've got yeah when birth goes okay and you've got your baby in your room straight away so yeah absolutely um how was the transition from having had quite uh, a lot of care like you had heaps of care kind of going on around you guys to then going solo when you got back home <laughs> it was yeah it was really hard and um Ollie, like in the in the nursery, they feed around the clock. So it's either three or four hourly feeds. So mm-hmm. he was like a robot. Like, you know, we pretty much, <laughs> the, the routine that they had in at um, in a, the nursery was just, we, it just kept going at home. So it was just like to the clock, um, you know, feeding and, and everything. Yeah. So it took a little bit to get used to. And it was almost like... Um, when we had him home with us, it was like, what do we do? Because, you know, we're three or four weeks in with this baby and, you know, you'd spend all, a lot of time at the hospital, but then, you know, like you weren't the sole carer because the nurses were just so involved with all of his care and you couldn't be at the hospital 24 seven. It's just impossible. And um, yeah, so it was almost like, oh, we've got this baby now and we don't know, don't know what yeah. to do. So <laughs> it was a little bit of being thrown in the deep end, but yeah. Um, yeah, he really was. He was a pretty cruisy baby. Um, so, yeah, we were quite lucky in that aspect. Did you find any kind of ways to care for yourself? Like what um, what did you find were maybe little even anchor points for you? Like is it having, um, you know, that it might sound really silly, but it, <laughs> I can imagine having just some things like that cup of tea or that like, amount of time in a shower sometimes like were there tiny <laughs> little anchors that were self-care points yeah. that you would find you were able to um, respond to and helped you keep going yeah self-care in the hospital especially was um was for me writing so just like having a journal and just writing letters of um, for one to be able to track what was going on because it was just such a blur like <laughs> one minute I was you know yeah. on the ward the next minute I was in ICU with you know having magnesium infusions and you know just all you know it was just an ever-changing environment and just different visitors and different things so I wrote a lot and I wrote a lot of letters to to my baby too to Ollie like you know just letters of you know <laughs> this is what I want or this is what's yeah 
this is what you know this is what we're going through and this this is what I want for you in this life and um you know just just letters so journaling was a really good way for me to be able Mm. to get through my time in hospital um and just also trying to just be positive so just to know that this situation isn't ideal but at the end of the day you're in the best hands and um you know all all that we want is just a safe and healthy delivery for you know for for ollie and um yeah i just i just really kept thinking of the positives and that's the only way that yeah (laughs) that we could get through it really yeah and was journaling something you had already done in the past or was this kind of your first foray into journaling um no I'm a terrible journalist so (laughs) so I would um, I would have ideas of you know I'll keep a journal every day and you know and write in it and yeah time just gets in the way and yeah but I'm big into um like I'm quite sentimental with um you know just notes and things that my grandparents have written me so Mm. just having that recollection of um you know you know baby books and those sort of things um I'm big into writing letters of um you know letters to my kids or just writing in a journal of um of yeah of you know world events that have gone on and I just found that, yeah, having a pen and paper in hospital, there's only so much TV that you can watch. And especially yeah. when you've got high blood pressure, you don't want to be walking, you know, walking the corridors or anything. <laughs> so, yeah, so journaling was just a, a bit of a creative way for me to, yeah, put down my thoughts and, and you know, just try to focus on the positives that one day I could look back on that and think, oh, that was bloody tough that what I went through. And, yeah, yeah and and it is like it's, it's almost like having a bit of um, – post-traumatic stress disorder like a lot of the things that we went through um we've just tried to wipe out of our memory because a lot of it was horrific and it was just a really hard time and so for Matt and I as a couple it's um you know it's yeah it's not until you sit down and talk about things or rehash it like what I'm doing with you now that you think oh I can't believe how much stuff we actually went through because we put it to the side now yeah yeah which happens like I think that happens in parenthood generally but particularly you guys like work in such a busy kind of business too that like that churning on in life I think is a very um common rural experience too um where people are working on the land and there's always that next thing that you need to be doing because be doing yeah when the crops need you the crops need you (laughs) (laughs) exactly and just too like with the um with the stay in the nursery like we were lucky I was you know 33 and three weeks when Ollie was delivered you know so many babies are born before that time and um Mm. you know so many outcomes are so much worse you know so many miscarriages and that's just what kept us going is thinking you know what this situation is pretty sucky but at the end of the day you know we've still got you know a healthy baby and we can get through this we can do this and yeah it um yeah that's it's just the positive thinking that got us through and knowing that there are people that are so much worse off than what we are yeah and how did um you kind of find moving into that first year of motherhood postpartum and yeah parenthood as a rural woman um, it was quite an adjustment for us. So because Ollie was prem, we had a lot of appointments and trying to establish feeding was quite hard. He um, he didn't ever take well to the breast and I tried to persist through breastfeeding and he just wasn't putting on weight gains. And our paediatrician said, look, you're just going to have to switch to formula because 
we just, yeah, he just wasn't putting on weight and that was their yeah. main concern for him to have a healthy outcome. So, um, yeah, it was, it was hard that I had this idea in my head that, you know, we're going to have this happy breastfeeding journey and then it didn't turn out like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a huge adjustment. And for me, I'd always been quite busy. Like I'd always been busy in my job and, um, you know, going from that to then being a mum, I felt quiet. Like I just didn't feel like my usual self. I felt like I lost my identity a little bit. And, um, yeah, I just, I wish that I'd probably thought more into how much you actually change as a, as a person when you become a mum. And mm. yeah, it's just, it's such a huge adjustment. Um, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Did you find any um, good mother's groups were operating locally or like, I know you said you had a friend who had a kid um, before you as well. W- were there kind of those motherhood networks or was it something online that you kind of started to grow? Yeah, it was actually online. So I was part of a um, a mother's group online for all babies that were born in, uh, well, meant to be born in November that year. Yeah. And Ollie was obviously born in September being early. But um, yeah, so a fantastic mom, mom, mother's group that I joined that just was such a good resource for sharing, um, you know, sharing feeding tips or sharing sleeping and settling tips and just being a support to be able to vent and say, you know what, I've actually had a pretty crappy day today or, or yeah. to be able to, you know, share the exciting milestones too of, you know, oh, my baby sat up for the first time today. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was, yeah, a really, really good online resource. And even now we still, um, you know, four, four and a half years in, we still keep in contact with, yeah. Um, yeah, with each other. And yeah. Um, and I think that's probably one of my regrets of um, going private with Ollie's birth is that I didn't have that face-to-face mother's group. Um, and I just think that is so important to, um, yeah, to find, you know, find people that are going through a similar thing and, you know, and to connect with mums, especially to connect with mums who have got kids the same age. So you're going through the journey of, you know, you're going through the leaps and you're going through the teething and you're going through the stages at a similar time. Um, yeah, and I, that connection is just so important and finding your tribe, finding people, your support people to rely on is just such an important thing, especially in your first mm. pregnancy. How many years did it kind of take then for you to um, feel like it was time to have a second child? Um, <laughs> was that a, a difficult decision to make after having had a difficult first birth or...? Um, was there anything you needed to do kind of between um, your first and second pregnancy to help with some of those feelings and uh, fears in a sense as well that you might have been holding after your first birth experience yeah um, so once again Charlotte um, Charlotte my second baby was actually unplanned (laughs) Um, so so that sort of took the choice away from me Um, so we had spoken about that we would love to have another baby and just the the um, the not knowing of one are we going to have the issue of preeclampsia again to you know like is it going to be worse this time and um, you know, we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to do it to ourselves, especially the the mental load that Ollie's birth took on us as, you know, as individuals, but also as a family unit. And um, yeah, it was, 
yeah, it had gone through our head a lot that we would love that, but, you know, just that guarantee of, you know, of knowing whether we'd be able to do it or not. Um, you know, no one could give it, give us because, you know, it's just the unknown. We you just didn't know. Um, mm. And so when I fell pregnant <laughs> with Charlotte, um, it was a huge shock to the system. And um, when I was in hospital with Ollie, one of the obstetricians who was on the consulting team who would go around and at a, as a broad sort of level, look at every patient's cases. Um, I met this fabulous obstetrician who um, worked both public and private. But wow. when I met her, she was obviously at the, the Women's and Kids in Adelaide. And she was just amazing. She was like an angel who walked into our room at a time where we were really struggling and she said you know what this is pretty crappy but um you know like it is what it is and you know everything will be fine and um and she actually discharged me for a day or two so I could just go home during my hospital stay before having Ollie and just have a day of just being able to have to sleep in my own bed and not be working for the four hourly obs and mm. um yeah so when we fell pregnant with um with Ollie I said right I really want to <laughs> I need her I really need to, to be seen by her. So, um, so yeah, I went down the path of um, contacting her straight away. So I was only five or six weeks pregnant at the time. Yeah. And I just wanted to have that, you know, not having the continuity of care through Ollie's birth. I just wanted to have that this time around. Mm. And I rang um, her and spoke to her. So I got the referral and rang her um her office and um her receptionist said to me she said oh look I'm really sorry but she's not accepting any new patients and I burst out into tears crying like I just thought oh my god this is just she was my only glimmer of hope knowing that I would have someone who mm. felt like in my court for this pregnancy and um and I just felt so lost and I said to her oh, you know I completely understand she's so popular and um and you know completely get that that's fine and I said I just I saw her when I had my la- but during my last pregnancy and she was just amazing and and she said oh actually have you seen her before and I said oh not as a patient but I did have dealings with her anyway um the receptionist said to me she said, oh, look, leave it with me and I'll um I'll have a chat to her when she comes in and I'll just see whether we'll be able to do something she said but look she's so busy and we get this all the time like I can't guarantee you anything yeah anyway I just felt like please 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 so <laughs> Yeah. All that morning I was at the farm doing farm work. I'm like, please, please, please. And um, it was funny because the farm that we had at the time, we were it was on a highway and we were moving sheep from one side of the farm to the other across this highway. And I was sitting on the highway. I still remember where I was when I got the phone call from the receptionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, she goes, oh, can you talk? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just moving sheep across this highway. And it was busy and had <laughs> the signs up and the lights. I'm like, yes, please. And she's like, oh, great news. She said she remembered you from Women's and Kids. And she remembered your case and how long you're in hospital. And she said she would be happy to take you on as a patient. And I just burst out of tears crying. I was just, yeah, absolutely oh. beside myself. That so, um, She took me on and she was just throughout all of Charlotte's pregnancy she was just on top of you know of the preeclampsia risk so I was on um, calcium and um, blood pressure medications just right from the start and low dose aspirin Mm. as well so from a really early um, yeah from the really early weeks we started that just as a precautionary and just regular blood tests um, blood pressure monitoring and blood test monitoring as well so Mm. just a lot of the precautionary stuff um, that I hadn't had in my previous pregnancy she was just completely on top of and um, 
yeah, had a yeah a fantastic run with her. What an engaged doctor, you know. She yeah, she's she's and to hold a memory across all that time, (laughs) which I know people do. It it it's just still an impressive thing to be that engaged, and it it totally evident why continuity of care is the gold standard like where absolutely someone yeah who's so there with you yeah and she went all the way through like I would just I'd have an issue or I was regularly taking my blood pressure at home because I just had to be on top of um you know if there were any changes the slightest change I needed to be across mm-hmm. and um yeah she was just fantastic like a lot of the time she'd be ringing me after hours at work and just checking in to see how I was and mm-hmm. um yeah she was just fantastic and all of her team her midwives who work for her are fantastic as well and um yeah so she was just she um and I was really keen as well after having a um emergency c-section to try for a um for a v-back and she was yeah just completely pro-choice pro you know doing um you know whatever it was that the woman wanted for her birth like she was yeah she was in your core and yeah she's she's amazing she's she's an angel (laughs) yeah how did um she kind of help or advise you towards working towards your v-back um, so right at the start, she just said that we wanted to get through um, through the pregnancy until 38 weeks and just that was our main aim. So um, so for her, it was just uh, because I didn't have any chance at all to try for a vaginal birth with Ollie. So mm. she wasn't sure how my body would go. Um, so, you know, there wasn't that any indications of something going wrong last time. Um, the only reason that I had the emergency C-section was because of the prematurity side. So yeah. um, so there was that little bit of unknown, but our first goal was just get to get through to 38 weeks, which we did, um, and then try for an induction, um, obviously based on blood pressure as well, because my blood pressure was higher during pregnancy. It was a safe okay. level, but it was still higher. So I was just trying to manage that mm. and, uh, and keep on top of that too. Yeah. So um, did they schedule your induction for 38 weeks? And um, how did your body kind of respond to that induction? So I was, um, yeah, scheduled for a C-section. Hang on. I just, I don't know why I just said that. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it ended. But um, yeah, so I was um, scheduled to be induced. um, I think it was about 39 weeks now from memory. And, um, but, you know, it was term and that was just all that Mm -hmm. I was so happy for. Um, So we went to the hospital in Adelaide um, and then she did a, um, a VE just to see whether I was dilated at all um, because yep. she was planning on doing um, you know doing the balloon um, insertion overnight to get my body yeah. ready for birth and um, I went in when we went in the night before I was actually a couple of centimeters dilated so I didn't have mm. to have the um, balloon catheter so we went home and just um, we'd hired a house so my mum could come across and um, you know have a and Matt could be down as well so have a to have a base for us mm-hmm. um, yeah so we went back and um, just spent the night in bed and then went into the hospital the next morning at 7 a.m and yes the um 
obstetrician broke my waters. So um, yeah. just to try to get my body going, especially because I was already a couple of centimetres dilated. Mm. Um, and she just let my body do its own thing just to see whether I'd get going without having to have the syntocin. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't um, get going at all. So we started the drip. It was about 11 a.m. that morning, so a couple of hours mm-hmm. later. And yeah, just gradually over the day, just increase the um, the dose rate all the way up um, until sort of maximum level. And um, for whatever reason, and still it's a bit of a mystery to this day, my body just didn't respond to it at all. Um, so I only dilated to about four centimetres. Um, yeah. And that was sort of at 11 o'clock that night. So the obstetrician was fabulous. She came in and um, just said, she said, oh, they, I just hadn't dilated. And so she wanted to get it to um, to the maximum dose of syntocin that they could do. But because I hadn't had any pain medication on board, she just wanted to put some pain to put some pain medication in or an epidural in just to relax my body and to help things progress mm-hmm. a little bit better. Um, and so they inserted an epidural um, at night and then, um, yeah, so it was from about midnight through till 7am, I was going on the highest dose of syntocin and trying to dilate. Um, and how were those contractions for you? Um, yeah, they were still pretty intense. And at the time, I didn't realise that my epidural had actually fallen out. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> so um, and the nurse kept, oh, sorry, the midwife kept saying to me, oh, just relax, like, just relax, you're so tense. And I'm like, oh, I can still feel it. And she's like, no, you can't, you've got the epidural in. And <laughs> it wasn't until the next morning that they're like, oh, actually, you don't have it in. But um, yeah, so I did actually get a little bit of rest. But yeah, um, and my my obstetrician was fantastic. She actually stayed the night in the hotel so she could be close by to me um, and not go home to her own family of young kids. So, um, yeah, so first thing the next morning she was in my room and um, did a VE and just I hadn't dilated any further and um, there was a tiny little bit of meconium staining um, on, yeah, you know that had come out and um so yeah so they made the decision that I just wasn't going to progress and they'd gone to the maximum level that they could use and yeah it was just not going to happen so I went in for an emergency c-section another one (laughs) yeah how was it different moving this time from having been in a labor induction into cesarean compared to the first move into cesarean it was, um, it was almost a sigh of relief and not a sigh of relief like, oh, I don't have to go through a vaginal birth because I desperately wanted to to go through that. And I guess in some aspects, I've got the best and worst, worst of both worlds because I had all of the time of contracting and, um, and um, you know, all of that period throughout those, you know, 24 hours. Um, yeah, but didn't actually get to go through the actual birth. So um, it was almost a little bit of a relief when, um, yeah, and she made the decision to do a VBAT, uh, sorry, to do a cesarean. And um, it was, yeah, it was just, it was such a happy time to be able to finally get to meet, um, yeah, to meet baby and I guess to have it on a happy note as well as opposed to Ollie's birth Mm -hmm. where, you know, baby was, yeah, whisked off straight away. It was, yeah. It was actually quite lovely to be able to, yeah, to finally have that little bit of sense of normality. And so did she come straight to you and 
was your partner able to come into post-surgery recovery with you? Yeah, so he um, he did. So I was so lucky that our obstetrician, um, because my mum and um, Matt were also there for the whole day um, wanting to see the birth. Um, yeah, wow. And so, um, yeah, mum's a huge support person for me and, um, you know, my best friend. And so she, uh, they were actually both allowed to come into theatre with me, um, which was amazing. So, yeah, so they were both there for that. Um, and mum is a nurse, so she loves all the blood and gore and she <laughs> loves seeing that. So, um, yeah, but... Charlotte was actually, um, so Charlotte came out healthy and she was uh, fine, but she was actually born with um, low blood sugar levels and they were quite worried that she had an infection. And as it turns out, um, during the night when I was labouring, I hadn't had any antibiotics. So she was actually born with an infection that required her to go into the special care nursery. Um, yeah. Which was, um, yeah, quite devastating because, um, you know, we had this beautiful, you know, baby and she was healthy size and she was fine in terms of everything else. But then, you know, just rehash those feelings of what we had when we had Ollie and, yeah, and she didn't get to spend the first three or four days with us. She was in the nursery again. So, um, yeah, so I was a little bit emotional with her birth, but, um, we were very relieved that she was, yeah, also born at term and we had had a really healthy run with her. Yeah. And um, were you able to breastfeed or did you need to pump for Charlotte? Yeah, she was actually um, a really good feeder. So we did, I did a bit of pumping as well um, just to get my supply in and, um, yeah, and she was a really good breastfeeder as well. Um, but in the end, I breastfed her for about eight weeks but my milk supply dwindled quite a lot and um I've since found out um well I've had I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome and I didn't realize the correlation between that and um producing breast milk so okay. I've had a fair bit of work with yeah some specialists to yeah sort of understand why my supply dwindles at about that that stage so mm. um yeah so she was mixed fed for a, for a long time but I was yeah really really happy that I could breastfeed breastfeed her too which I didn't really get to do with Ollie being prem yeah yeah so the two experiences have similarities in some ways but then they're really quite different in other ways too they are different yeah they are but Overall, that experience of having that continuity of care with just having a, um, an obstetrician who was just so supportive and just so lovely and I just knew that I was um, in the best hands possible. Um, yeah, it was just it was just such a positive experience as mm. opposed to the uncertainty that I'd been through with Ollie's pregnancy. Yeah, and did you get to um, engage with her much after the birth as well? Yeah, I did. So she would um, come into the hospital um, every day just to call in. She is one of the biggest hospitals in Adelaide, the private hospital. So she would come in and regularly be in and out. And um, yeah, quite a lot of follow-up appointments with her too. And it's quite funny that um, 
where farmers so produced grain and also meat but the midwives that we dealt with at her clinic are vegetarian um okay. so we would always have these conversations about um the grains that we produce and um as a thank you present for the birth I gave them all a big packet of our homegrown lentils so just oh, like wow. straight from the field being into into this glass jar and that was their present and so now um, I'm a regular supplier of these lentils. Whenever we're going through <laughs> Adelaide, we'll call in and drop in this big, um, big jar of lentils for them. So, yeah, That's we still lovely. keep in regular. We still keep in regular contact with them, and yeah, the the whole the whole clinic is fantastic. Yeah, that's like two years going on now for the lentils. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. They um and they ring out of the blue and I'll look down at my phone and think, oh, obstetrician, my God, that feels like a lifetime ago. And um, yeah, it'll be yeah, the um, midwives or um yeah, ringing up to get some more lentils. So it's quite mm. funny. <laughs> um, and so when you got home, having been a local mum for a while and already connected to people, was it easier to have that in-person support network the second time around? Absolutely, yeah. It's just that I guess it's that confidence of, um, of you know, not being a, a first-time mum and completely new to it again. You're a lot more confident with feeding. You're a lot more confident with knowing what to do and, you know, not freaking out over every um, tiny little thing. Um, Charlotte had quite bad um because of her infection that she had and um she had quite bad bad jaundice and so it was um just regular tests trying to be able to make sure that it wasn't at a level where she had to go back into hospital to have mm. to go under the lights so um yeah so it was just yeah that confidence that probably would have freaked me out if I was a um a first-time mum just sort of having a bit of confidence knowing that you know we can get help and just to know what to look for and, you know, know about, you know, the more feed that we put into her, the more that the jaundice is removed and just, yeah, yeah that, that confidence just, yeah, completely different, um, completely different experience. But I guess we all go through that, don't we, that we all are a first time mum at some point and um, yeah. there's no other <laughs> way than, um, yeah, than throwing off the training wheels and just jumping straight into it because it's, yeah, you don't learn it any other way. Throwing off the training wheels. You don't even get to put them on. Like, <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You just straight in the deep end. It's yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, second time was just so much different, and um, it was traumatic in other ways. Um, we had a lot of appointments going back and forwards because we couldn't find anywhere locally that would do the blood tests to um to check for jaundice. So we had yeah. a lot of going between hospitals and going back down to Adelaide to get checked, and um, yeah, a lot of other issues that way. Mm. But um you know just knowing that you know we were doing the right thing and just being so much more confident the second time was just so different yeah that and that is a massive amount of driving um to have to keep going but you, you do seem like someone who's very good at keeping on going oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think yeah you, you don't really have a choice do you just no to, yeah <laughs> and yeah, I think that's good no. to hear people's stories of that too because you're right like there isn't really a choice and so hearing how people have done it can often be the enthusing kind of feature where you're like okay no it's, it's been done I can do it it's gonna be okay <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and um in hindsight like you think about you know having kids and how much it changes your life and you lose control of you know everything in your life when you have kids and you just think like it just it starts at 
pregnancy like it doesn't start when you've got the baby in your arms it starts at pregnancy when you're just like oh well this is just you know we're going to throw these balls up in the air and however they land now is you know what we're doing with and I think that's just mother I find motherhood to be a little bit like that like it's just yeah you know this is yeah we don't have control and this is just yeah it's a bit of a chaos and yeah in hindsight I think it's how it prepares you yeah I think birth and your pregnancy almost prepares you for motherhood a little bit that way that things are taken out of your hands and you just have to deal with it as it comes. Mm. How was your um, postpartum period being a mum of two? Um, Like you'd actually had a a bit more time in your third trimester so had you been able to do you know prep and uh, pre-planning for meals and things like um, was it a bit easier? (laughs) Yeah, um, well, given that we didn't have any prep at all, <laughs> really, yeah. with Ollie, it was, um, yeah, like his nursery wasn't even ready. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, second time around, it was great. My mum was fabulous and um, and she lives six hours away from me, so I don't really have mm-hmm. my own family support network um, yeah. where we live. But, yeah, she made, um, you know, all these different sorts of meals and, um, yeah, <laughs> she was fabulous in in that way so we had yeah all our meals were prepared and um yeah it was yeah a lot easier and I guess with um sort of second baby syndrome too you know you know you don't need all of the gadgets to you Mm. know to get you through you just need the basics and um you know a lot of what we had for Ollie just got us through with Charlotte so yeah we were a lot more prepared and um yeah and we knew that we were having a girl too we didn't find out with Ollie but we just had such a um (laughs) surprise in pregnancy with him we thought well let's just take a little bit of surprise out of a second pregnancy <laughs> and let's yeah, find yeah. out if we're having a boy or a girl so <laughs> so um yeah so um we knew that we're having a girl so we're pretty organized in that aspect too and it was only my mum um and one of Matt's sisters who knew that we're having a girl too so um yeah so um yeah it was yeah completely different the second time around yeah um so for people listening, what would you kind of say are your hot takes, takeaways or advice for rural people who are going to birth away from home or um, like what would you take away as this little rural piece of gold information kind of that people can <laughs> hook into because I do think our birth stories are different I think our birth journeys are different I think um and I I do believe it kind of all comes down to the distance because that is where our access limitations our travel our relocation and some limitations on a postpartum and prenatal care for us locally and yeah (laughs) yeah in that kind of shared space what do you think would be some things that people could hook into. Yeah, I think to be aware of um, of what the service providers or, you know, what your hospital providers offer um, around. So, you know, to know that, okay, well, if I have a premature birth, this is where I'm going to end up. And it's not to put plans into place. It's just to be aware of, okay, well, if, you know, if this happens or if I have, you know, a, a hemorrhage, this will happen and I'll get shipped here or, um, you know, our situations are so different to what people go through in the city where, you know, nine times out of 10, you're close to all of these big hospitals that it'll just be, you know, you move somewhere potentially within a city. Whereas when you're in the country, like, you know, every bit of 
health care that we access is just offered at different places so it's just yeah. I guess that little bit of understanding of okay well if this goes wrong this is might might be where we end up and yeah I mean you know it's like any any plan isn't it to sort of know in case you know have an action plan in case you ever need it and just hope that you never do so yeah. um yeah I think just knowing what services are available is yeah is hugely beneficial both antenatally and postnatally yeah I think that is a phenomenal tip um like <laughs> I've heard of um you've got birth plans and um I I know a woman who wrote a book it's um the birth map and when I heard her birth stories like it's very different but she even said little things like knowing what to do if you have a birth before arrival and you go um meet the people at your local ambulance station go into go introduce yeah and say hi yeah. you know and just having that idea of well, sometimes this happens. So that little piece of knowledge or even that tiny relationship with the people who you might end up engaging with of, uh, I know that person's face and I, I face, feel yeah. okay that that's going to be that person or or just even I know that place and I looked it up online and um, if I need yeah. to move to a high-risk unit or um, into a, a NICU situation or different things like I've Googled it and that's the hospital and that's where that would happen. Yeah, it's a phenomenal advice yeah. that you've coined. It, <laughs> and I think too, um, you know, like when we made the decision to go private, which a lot of um, country people do, and, you know, just to know the public options too and know that public support network. So, um yeah, I just, yeah, it's just important, you know, like I probably in hindsight, like I said before, I really should have been involved with, you know, the mother's clubs and, um, you know, mum's groups and, you know, that sort of support network as well. So it's also knowing both options too. If you, yeah, if you choose to go down one path is knowing the, the, the alternative as well. Thank you again to Rebecca for sharing her birth stories, for sharing what it's like to have your expectations upheaved, for sharing what it's like to transfer care after having had continuity with a private obstetrician, for sharing how you move through the difficulties of early birth and extended prenatal hospital stays, for sharing what it's like to be far from home, for sharing how you move from your first birth into your second and regain that confidence through having a trusted care provider. I really appreciate everything Rebecca shared with us in her stories, her strength and her resilience. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to share your rural birth story, please get in touch via Instagram at rural underscore births or email rural births at gmail.com. And again, thank you so much for listening.